Good morning. Revelation chapter 6 verse 10 says they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? How long, O Lord, till justice comes? How long before wrongs are made right? You know, David cried that question out. How long, O Lord? In Psalm 13, that would have been around 1000 B.C. Here we hear, here we just heard in Revelation 6, John recording that. Now, of course, it's a vision of the future, but there he is recording that in A.D. 95. And, And here we are in 2020 still asking, how long, O Lord? Justice will come. God promises. Today the frustration is that, that justice can come, but, but too often it seems like it's in a very small way, and at worst, a very temporary way. But God promises that one day it will be in a very big way, and it will be in a permanent way. God promises justice will come. He says in Galatians 6, 9, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he is going to reap. Revelation, excuse me, Romans 12, verse 19 says, Vengeance is mine. It belongs to me, says the Lord. And I will, I will repay. God promises that justice will come. He promises that wrongs will be righted. That they is there for you and me. You, you know, when, 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 David, when David cried out, how long till that justice comes? You know, he actually expressed a frustration. I just said Psalm 13 a moment ago in another Psalm, Psalm 73. David asks a question that basically is, what's the point of trying? What's the point of doing good? I mean, it doesn't get rewarded. Evil still flourishes. You think, are you supposed to say that out loud at church? (laughs) Folks, it's the Bible that asks that question. It's why I love my Bible. Because it deals with reality. It deals with real questions in people's heart. And David said, I look out at the world and I see good people taking it on the chin. And and, and I see evil people getting away with it. Lord, what's the point? What's the point of trying? What's the point of doing good when, when injustice just continues to keep coming around? And folks, let's remember, when we say injustice, we're not talking about some vague force out there that we don't have control of. We are the injustice. Every one of us has been hit, has been affected, has been a victim of injustice, and every one of us has caused. Every one of us. Do we grasp that? We might be talking on a national level. We might be talking at work. We might be talking at school. We might be talking in a marriage. We might be talking between siblings. Every one of us has caused injustice. So no matter how good we are, it just just continues to be there. What's the point of trying? And David said, I almost gave up my faith. Over this question, over this issue, I, I almost quit. 
But then he re-anchors his faith. He comes back around with this one thought. The future. The future is why he kept holding on to God. Now you stop and think about for David, the future had to be a very distant and vague idea. But what you and I are getting in Revelation is a soon and coming and a very clear idea. When David re-anchored his faith to God, do you realize he was holding on to one sentence? That's what he had. One sentence we see in Psalm 73. Sinners will be swept away by terror. Folks, as we turn to Revelation chapter 6 through 18, we are going to see 13 chapters of what sinners being swept away by terror is going to look like. We are beginning today our look at what people normally turn to Revelation, wanting to know about, wanting, wanting to look at. I mean, you, you think about it. We've been at this. I don't even know what sermon this is. I, I think I'm on my eighth, ninth uh, sermon in Revelation, and now here we are at chapter 6, and, and we're at the great tribulation, what, what the bulk of this book is going to be about, what the bulk of the rest of our summer is going to be about. Today what I want to do is kind of give us an overview, of a feel for the whole of the tribulation. Why is there a tribulation? What is the tribulation? And, and, and kind of the storyline there. So we'll start with why. Why is there a tribulation? Two quick reasons. One, because the sin of man must be punished. Folks, you ever looked around and, and maybe you're feeling this? Yet you, you ever thought somebody's getting away with it? Somebody got away with it in my life? Do you know that nobody gets away with anything? Nobody ever. Folks, the tribulation is the beginning of God bringing His wrath and God bringing His justice against every, every single sin. It's not in some kind of random, large way that kind of God deals with sin. Justice will be done against every single sin. And if you're like me, it's easy to think, well, boy, that's good because they have it come. You know, we probably should think about our own at that moment. You know, when we say every sin, we might say, well, just like, just like how far down into the weeds does God go? It just, just like, I mean, like really even the small ones, you know, I think we can get a little bit of clue from Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, you will be held accountable for every careless word. Every careless word. You ever had a kind of a tense moment with somebody and they won <laughs> and you turn to walk away and <laughs> You got a little grumbling going on under your breath. And you, I mean, you really didn't say anything. You're just, you know, it just kind of naturally kind of, you know, come. I mean, when they say, what did you say? You're almost telling the truth when you said, I didn't say anything. That word. They didn't hear, God did. And we give an account for it. Every single sin. I think that should scare us. The good news, folks, is today we have the opportunity to be scared to the cross. You understand what we're seeing in the tribulation is God's wrath and justice fall against sin. There is a place where God's wrath and justice has already fallen against sin. And you and I can carry our sin to that place and we can hide in that place. It's at the cross. We can go where the justice has already fallen. 
But the great tribulation is about God saying to mankind, to saying to Satan, to saying to sin, to saying to evil, it stops right here. That's a promise. That day is coming. It stops right here. Second reason there is a great tribulation is because mankind, people, individuals must be humbled. Folks, every sin is a statement of our arrogance and our pride. I'd love to be talking about the big bad world and the sinners out there. And, and this is true of them, but it's no different for you and me as believers. It's, it's no different for us when we sin. Every sin is just a statement to God, I know better. I know better what to do here. I know better how to respond here. I know better how to meet my needs. I know more than you. I know better than you. My friends have better insight than you. My friends are more just than you. The culture is more just than you. I know better. And besides, what are you going to do about it? Now, my guess is almost every one of us right now could say, I, I've never said any of those sentences. It's exactly what we're saying. In every single sin, that's what we're saying to heaven. And we will be humbled. Pride and arrogance will be brought down. This whole concept of I am God and I can do what I want. I, what comes to my mind, Isaiah 42, verse 8. God's saying, I am Yahweh. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to you. Folks, the tribulation is God letting the whole earth know there is one, there is one that is God. So that's just a, a kind of a simple look at why there is going to be a tribulation, why we're going to see happening what we're happening. So what, what is the tribulation? What, what is that exactly? Jesus described it this way in Matthew 24, 21. He said, a great tribulation is coming such as has never been seen from the beginning of time until now. No, never will be. Never been a time like this, never will be a time like this. And, and what is it that is happening? God is bringing the destruction against satanic rule, against sin, and, and against an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. He's going to do that through war. He's going to do that through disease. He's going to do that through natural disasters and mass killings. And we might say, well, now, wait a minute. I mean, the world has seen those things, hasn't it? I mean, if those things were to happen, that's not, that's not unique. History is filled with those things. Well, Revelation describes for us why this time is so unique. Revelation 3.10 says that this time is worldwide, not localized. I mean, folks, even in a pandemic, not everybody on the planet has been affected by this. I imagine there's probably somewhere on the planet they don't even know this is going on. Even in the midst of a great world war, there was people for whom it had very little impact. That's not true in the tribulation. Every single human soul is fully impacted by everything going on. The second reason it's so different from anything we've ever seen is because we know it's the end. 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. We know we're under the judgment of God. We know this is the end of the world. You know, humanity has a tremendous ability. I think it was given to us by God. We have a tremendous ability to hope. I'm not talking about every single individual. Individually, sometimes we give up hope, don't we? Individually, I, 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 can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm, 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 I'm done. Whatever that might mean or look like. But as a whole, man, I mean, in the middle of a war, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of the worst moments, humanity keeps clawing, fighting, scratching, and hoping in tomorrow. That won't be the feeling. That won't be the mood in the tribulation. There will be no hope that tomorrow brings anything better for anyone. So those be two things that make this time very distinct and, and unlike anything else. Another way we could describe what is the tribulation is just by simply calling it the seven seal judgment. I introduced that to you several weeks ago. Uh, uh, we saw in Revelation 5, God the Father hand to the Son the scroll. And on that scroll there are seven seals and, and Jesus is the only one worthy who can make it right? Who can bring this justice? Do you know that none of us are worthy to do that? You know why? Because we've caused injustice. Only Jesus has that authority and that purity. And as He opens each seal on the scroll, it will bring a different judgment on the earth. We get to the seventh seal, and guess what we find? Seven more judgments. They're called the trumpet judgments. An angel will blow a trumpet, and another judgment will come on the earth. We get to the last ju judgment, the last trumpet. Finally, this has got to be it. And guess what the seventh trumpet is? Seven more judgments called the bowl judgments. God pouring out His wrath on the earth next week. We're, we're going to start in verse by verse and into Revelation 6. And we're going to look at all of those judgments. It sounds like a lot of judgments. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. But we're going to, we're going to see what is actually going to be happening to the earth, to, to the universe, to mankind in all of those judgments. And of course, a, a very, we have a very central figure all the way through the, the tribulation. We know him as the Antichrist. Oh, the church has had a lot of fun with this guy down through the years. Trying to guess who he is. Anybody got an idea who, who the Antichrist might be? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't tell the person next to you. You, you know, let, let, me, let me just go ahead and end that debate right now. The Scripture, despite anything you've read or heard somebody say, they were not being honest with you. The Scripture gives us no clues as to who the Antichrist is from a distance. What I mean by that is we're not going to see him as an eight-year-old and say, hey, look, I, that, that kid's got to be it. It's, it's, we're not going to see something as a 25-year-old, as a some up-and-coming person. Hey, that boy, that person's got to be... There's no clues outside of the tribulation as to who he is. You know, when we've pointed... We, I mean, hey, history has given us some very Antichrist-like characters, hasn't it? Our problem when we're predicting and pointing and saying, boy, he's got to be, they've got to be, is, is folks, if, if you believe that the Antichrist is a really, really bad person with a lot of power, you don't have a clue what the Antichrist is. That so far sells short what the Antichrist is. He is so much more than a really bad person with a lot of power. Now, when we're inside the tribulation, now, it, let's go back to last week. 
You know, if you believe like I do, if you kind of went along with what I was proposing last week, that that the church is actually going to be raptured up before the tribulation, we're not going to be here at the unveiling of the Antichrist. I'm okay with that. Do you want to stay and watch? You go ahead. (laughs) Okay? But it will be inside the tribulation. The clearest thing that will mark him as, I'm pretty sure this is the guy, is when he leads a, a, a group of European states to sign a treaty. There's been lots of treaties with Israel, but this will be an individual leading a group of European states to sign a treaty with Israel that is going to lead Israel to such a sense of peace and security like like they've never known. That they're going to actually return to their ancient Jewish rituals of, of worshiping the Lord. I mean, what you and I would probably think of as how a, a good Jewish person was was living and worshiping in the Old Testament. And of course, with that will be the need for a temple. I don't know that it's clear that that temple is going to be built way before the tribulation or on day one of the tribulation, but there will be a temple by the three and a half year mark. That is for sure. And, and, and they will be in that they'll be in that temple worshiping the Lord. Just like we would think of in the Old Testament. The, the Antichrist actually has an assistant. I, I, he doesn't get quite the billing as the Antichrist does. And uh, probably assistant is not even a good word for him. Because this person has all of the authority and all of the power that the Antichrist does. They're absolutely equal in that sense. But he will use all of his authority and power to point the world, to shine the light on the Antichrist. He is sometimes called the false prophet. He is sometimes called the beast of the earth. If you went to Revelation 13, you would see the beast of the sea, the first beast. That's the Antichrist. The second beast, the beast of the the, the uh, earth, will be the, the, the this assistant, if you will. And you know, it's interesting, folks. Satan brings us nothing but a lie and a counterfeit. And do you realize in this makeup, that, that Satan is trying to duplicate, he's trying to mimic the Holy Trinity. We just sang, holy, 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 God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. There's an unholy Trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and this false prophet. And, and you know, not only does he kind of mimic and, and, and mirror the look, but, but even the role. When, when you and I come to Christ, the, the, we've done that because the Holy Spirit led us there. The Holy Spirit literally marks us and seals us as a Christian, as a child of God. And it is the false prophet, it is this second beast that is going to mark, yea, demand that the world take the mark of the beast. We'll look at this more a little bit later when we get to the mark of the beast, but I've got good news for you. You do not need to fear getting it by accident. You, you don't need to fear getting something today and, oh my gosh, we're going to find out 10 years from now that's the mark of the beast. People take the mark of the beast for the singular and sole purpose to say, I belong to the Antichrist. So, so nobody gets it by, by accident, but it'll be the false prophet that is, that is leading people that way. Now, a, a, as the Antichrist has his little reign of terror, he does have opponents. He has opposition. It, we're we're going to meet two guys called just the two witnesses, and these are some dudes. 
Man, they can call fire down from heaven on their enemies. They can turn water into blood. They, they can make it stop raining. Uh, they, they, you know, I, I just mentioned all of these, these, you know, there's the seal judgments that become trumpet judgments that become bowl judgments. That's a whole judgment on it, on itself going on over here. The two witnesses aren't even a part of that. They're a judgment against the earth all by themselves. They are going to reap such devastation on the planet that when God's done with them, when they've served God's purposes, He's going to allow the Antichrist to kill them. And it'll be the only moment of rejoicing during the entire seven years. There'll be a worldwide holiday. People will exchange gifts because these two guys are dead. And they're going to lay in the street. The Antichrist is going to leave them laying there in the street for three and a half days. And then God's going to resurrect them in front of an entire world watching. They rejected by faith the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's not real. I mean, that can't really happen. That's just fairy tales and myths. God's going to show the entire world. Oh, yeah, watch this. And he's going to raise guys that have been laying, not, not in a tomb, not, not in a cave, have been laying dead in the street for three and a half days. And, and God is going to raise them up. There's another set of witnesses, not two, but 144,000. 144,000. Now, now their ministry won't be like the two. It won't be such a, so much about miracles as it is just preaching the gospel. 144,000 specially anointed Jews by God, anointed by God to carry the gospel throughout the world. And as these are, are, are combating and fighting the Antichrist, a, a, a literally a one world religion is going to rise up during the time of the tribulation. A one world religion. And, and, and it will be, a, it will be a tool of the Antichrist. They will serve the Antichrist and, and they will, and it will literally be by the hands of the church, well, the religion, that most believers will lose their life. Most genuine believers will lose their lives to this one world religion. The Antichrist will break the treaty that he signed with Israel. He will go into the temple and set himself up as the singular ruler politically, religiously in the world. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's mimicking because Satan ain't got nothing unique. He's got nothing real. He is copying. You, what, what we have is the Antichrist basically trying to jump in line. He's going to get to Jerusalem. He's going to get to the temple before Jesus and, and declare himself God in the world. And, it, and it'll be, that'll be the kickoff for the last three and a half years as the world worships him as God. And of course, Satan is the power behind this. Satan is the authority behind this. Revelation 12, 12 says, woe to the world for Satan has come down and he knows his time is short. And they, they will lead. This will all kind of begin moving toward and, and culminating forks toward, toward Armageddon. It will be a three and a half year time period because God limits it to three and a half years. You know, folks, that's just as true today as it is out there in the future. When we're looking at, at the Antichrist, at Satan, at, at evil, at sin, it's always limited. Now, imagine you and I can look in our lives and think, that was limited? What happened to me was God, lim well, God, you should have limited it a little bit more. It is limited. 
Satan, the Antichrist, never has a free reign to do anything and everything they want. They're limited, and God limits them by what he will use to bring about their judgment and what he will use to bring about his glory in this world. As I said, all of that will move toward Armageddon, which will be the culmination of, of the tribulation. And it begins with a war not between Jesus and the world. Actually, it begins in, a, in the greatest world war of all time. There will be the armies uh, of the Antichrist and, and the armies of the Far East, the Orient. You may have, you may have heard about an army of 200 million I meant to look it up before I, I, I came here today and I forgot. I, I, think, I think the standing army, the standing military in the United States is like 5 million. So just put that in perspective. This is an army of 200 million that will come across the continent, will come into Israel, and will come to Armageddon. That, that's, that's not just a, a, a title of a war. That's an actual uh, geographical place in Israel. I've, I've been there. I've looked out over that area. It is amazing to think of what happens in that place. It says the blood will run there to the height of a horse. And so the armies of the Far East will be united coming to that place to fight the Antichrist. And as they begin to engage in that great battle, then the second coming takes place. And, and Jesus comes with his armies. And, you know, now it looks like, boy, there's just going to be this incredible, this massive, unlike ever seen before battle. But it's kind of anticlimactic because Jesus is just going to speak and it's going to be over. And the carnage will be phenomenal. The Antichrist, the false prophet, will be defeated and thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. And the glory of God will be over all the earth. Amen. Now, what do we do with that today? Other than clap, and we should clap. <laughs> what do I do with that today? You know, we just heard a little bit of the why. We've heard a little bit of the what. We got a little idea of the storyline. What we're going to do now, the, literally the rest of the summer, is everything you just heard me say, man, we're going to break it all down into each detail, each passage, and go through each of those ideas as we, as we study this the rest of the summer. But we're, we're done. We're, we're getting ready to leave. So what, do I just wait till I hear about that part in August before I, before I do anything? What, what do we do today? Could I give you three quick things? Number one, you need to turn to Christ. Now, it would be my assumption that many of us here today, many, many here at our Midlothian campus watching online, that, that, that we've done that, haven't we? we? We have carried our sin to the cross. We have, we have trusted in Christ. But, but folks, it's not 100%. I, I don't think there's hardly a gathering of people anywhere on the planet where, where we can say a, a 100% have turned to Christ. I don't think we can look at heaven. I don't think we can look at hell. I don't think we can look at the tribulation. Folks, these things are real. They're going to happen. They're coming. And the only response is to turn to Christ. Please hear me today. You cannot pay for your sin. I don't care what you think of your sin. I don't, I don't care how good or righteous you think you are. I don't care how small you think your sin is. The testimony of God's Word, the testimony of Scripture is you cannot pay for your sin. But God has for you an opportunity for that sin to be paid for by Him. For His justice and wrath to have fallen on His own Son, the only person who can catch that justice and wrath and rise again. 
Turn to Christ. Man, if you're here today, you're watching online at at Midlothian, if you've got questions about what that means, what's that look like? Have I done that? I'm not sure if I've done that. Man, as as we conclude here in just a moment, you see these these two big, or actually there's three big red tents, and there'll be people there that, that would love to be able to have a moment with you. And answer those questions and, and see what we can do to secure, secure that answer in your life. If you're watching online, you, you, you can log in right there and, and, and ask about that and, and get help with that. Out at Midlothian, Pastor Ham will help you where to go and what, what to do right here, right now. Listen, we don't want to scatter from here and have there be a question in a single person's life about what it means to turn to Christ. Because this is real and this is coming. Turn to Christ. Second, share Christ. How can we know there's such an incredible love, an incredible answer? How can we know there is such an incredible terror coming? And not share that with anybody. Not not help anybody. We need to share Christ. Imagine a lot of us like, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what. Folks, it can be so. You know what sharing Christ? It can be as simple as, can I pray for you? It can be as simple, can I share with you what Christ has done in my life when I went through something like that? It can be as simple as inviting them to church. And yes, it can be as much as sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. But share Christ. I I don't know how we look at the tribulation and think, I don't need to speak to anybody about this. Turn to Christ, share Christ, and lastly, align with Christ. You You know what the tribulation means? It means there's a winner! We know who the champion is. So, so why do I put on a loser jersey? I don't put on a loser jersey. Every, every time I sin, I'm aligning with Satan. Every time I sin, I'm putting on his jersey. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. So whose jersey am I wearing when I tell a little lie? I mean, I know it's a small one. It doesn't really hurt anybody. But whose jersey am I wearing when I tell a small lie? It's not Jesus. And we know who the winner is. We know who the champion is. Align with Christ. Well, how do I do that? Well, the opposite of sin is what? It's obeying. I love my Savior. I trust my Savior. I trust the words out of His mouth. I don't look to the world around me. I don't look to my friends. I don't look to my feelings and emotions to tell me what I'm supposed to think about myself, about money, about relationships, about good days and bad days, about my successes and failures. I look to one place, the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word, and I obey that Word. Every time we obey Scripture, we're putting on His jersey. Amen? Turn to Christ. Share Christ. Align with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Thank you. Thank you for what you're showing us. Thank you that that we get a chance to see this and adjust and align our lives accordingly. Holy Spirit, would you move and work in this place right here and right now, whether it's at, with people at home online or at our Midlothian campus or sitting out here on this beautiful day in this field. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and tell us if we need to turn to you. Tell us if that is something that is missing and absent in our lives. And may this be the day, June 14th, 2020, that we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you'd move in all of our hearts to to quicken our heart to where we can share, to how we can align, to how we need to be 
aligning with you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all of these things. Amen.